Hello, listeners, and welcome back to The Dreaded Question. I'm your host, Lily Torre, and I'm almost embarrassingly excited to introduce this week's guest, who needs no introduction, Jen Waldman. If you've ever listened to a single episode of The Dreaded Question, then you know I've taken class at the Jen Waldman studio and that Jen is someone I look up to so much. Jen has created such a safe space and a warm and welcoming community at her studio, and I absolutely cannot recommend her classes highly enough. You've already heard from two of JWS's amazing teachers this season, Kyle Branzell and Steve Pasek, as well as several of the change-making students that take class there. Jen has her own podcast, The Long and the Short of It, with Peter Shepard, who I've also mentioned a million times this season. I'm assuming most of you have already listened to it, but if not, I'm linking their podcast in the show notes. If you've listened to TDQ before and you know how much I love Jen Waldman, you can imagine how honored I was when she reached out to me and told me she would like to answer the dreaded question. She was so incredibly generous with her time that we ended up recording for almost two hours. So I've decided to split her answer into two parts. So please enjoy part one of Jen Waldman's answer to the dreaded question. So, Jen Waldman, what are you up to? What do you mean? I knew you were going to have a great answer. I knew you were going to come back with something perfectly witty that would catch me off guard. And it's the perfect follow-up question because Mm -hmm. that is a theme that has come up a lot on this show is people filling in that blank. Yep. This is literally why I was like, Lily, I would like to answer the dreaded question. And you were like, you're the first person who said you want to answer it. And the reason is I wanted to give people that script. Yes. What do you mean? Well, thank you. It's been a great season. TDQ is done. Okay. Bye everybody. See you never. (laughs) I love that because it is something that I've sort of picked at with every guest who says like, oh, I feel like when people ask that question, they're asking me if I'm still acting or they feel like, insert whatever you feel. I usually tend to say, like, do you think that that's really there or do you think we put it there in our own minds? And, you know, it's it's hard to determine because maybe some people do mean that. And that's why that is a great follow-up question because you can ask them, what do you mean? Yes, it is, as Peter Shepard calls it, the question behind the question. Yeah. And to your point, we're very good at putting our insecurities up at the front and then yes. deciding that that's what the question is about. Yes. And for the person doing the asking, you know, as I was thinking like how am I going to answer the dreaded question? <laughs> I'm going to come up with a script that is like easily um, put into practice for other people and I was yeah. thinking, okay, so if I'm the person saying what are you up to? What do I actually mean? Yes. And I think there's like a two-way lack of permission mm. where it's like, okay. well, I'm not sure what the person is up to, so I'd want to be presumptuous yes. and yes. make all sorts of assumptions about what they are up to. I don't know what's going on in their personal life. I don't know what's right. going on in their professional life. So I'm going to put it in their court and make them deal with it. Right. But as a questioner... Yes. <laughs> if someone asks me the question, the question's not specific enough for me to answer. So yes. then I want to get down to specifics. What do you mean? Right. 
it's from the the Oscars perspective, which we haven't really addressed on the show, it's sort of the tiptoeing, polite way to ask you about what's going on in your life. But I do think that there's definitely nothing wrong with getting more specific and just saying, like, do you have a show coming up? If that's your question. And I think that's what people fear a little mm-hmm. bit is that that is the question and the answer is no, I don't have a show coming up. But if that's really what you want to know and this person's apparently your friend, then ask if they have a show coming up. And if they don't, I bet it'll lead to a or it'll lead to a great conversation full of, of follow-up questions. Yes, it'll also let you, the person being asked, decide who you want to be in conversations with. Because frankly, like the one thing that kept me from reaching out to you earlier was like, I actually don't feel like talking about myself. I'm, I'm happy to answer whatever questions you have, but I'm more interested in talking about your listeners and like what right. they're going through yeah. because that's where I feel like I can be of service and provide some value. Like sometimes the stories from my own life can help illuminate a point I'm trying to make. Yes. But in general, like what am I up to? There's probably something more that you want to know and the reason you're asking is for you, not for me. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It is a selfish question and I think it's selfish because of what you just said, but it's also selfish because it's unclear, which we now know is unkind. Thank and you, Brene. <laughs> thanks, Brene. You're the best. And so you're kind of you're making yourself more comfortable by not being specific, and so it is selfish in that way. And as the person being asked, it is a generous invitation to the person asking. Like you're opening the door to say, I'm okay for you to be specific with yeah. your question. You're so right. Because it's you know, tone is everything. Yeah. So it's not, what do you mean? But right. And it's not, gotcha. what do you mean? <laughs> yes. Like, what do you want to know? Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to talk about what whatever. Are, yeah. You're so right. And something you said earlier is bringing up for me something. We're already addressing it. The thing I told you I was going to want to talk about, which has come up in uh, Reveal Lab, that this idea of we open the door for people to agree with what makes us insecure. So an example is, you know, a friend who was just cast in a role that's usually uh, cast as a white woman. She was cast as a person of color. It's very exciting and she's going to be amazing in the role. And she said she ran into a friend and she was like, I'm gonna be playing this role, which is like weird. And her friend was like, it is weird casting. And then she felt horrible about it. Mm. And so we opened the door for people to agree with us about the things that we're insecure about, I guess maybe as a test to see if other people agree with the things we feel about ourselves. And since that conversation, since that that person brought this up, I have noticed how often I do it or feel the impulse or think of it. You know, if I'm running late, like, oh, I'm running late. You know, like, I'm just like, I'm not a late person, but I'm just kind of a mess. But I'm not mm. a mess. Why would I say that no, about myself? No, you are not a mess. Thank you. <laughs> But if you were like, oh, yeah, you know, like typical Lily or something, then I, you know, that would tell me something about myself. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm, I'm testing. I don't know why we do this. Oh, this is this is so interesting. I mean, the first thing that pops into my mind is Alphaba's first lines to the kids at Shiz. And she's like, yes, I've always been green. No, I didn't need grass as a child. It's like, let me call yes. out the thing that I'm so afraid you're going to yes. discover about me right. so that I can be the one to call it out instead of you. It will hurt less if I say it. Right. Huh, that's so, that is 
fascinating. Well, and I feel like it's what we do with the dreaded question. Mm-hmm. Totally. We assume that when someone asks us that, the, that question, they're asking us the thing we're most insecure about, when really they could just be like, what they really mean is, what did you do today? But if you don't ask that follow-up question, you're like, well, I'm not in a show right now, but you know, I, I have been auditioning a lot, and you know, I just never really get the call back, you know, like that always happens to me, and then they're like, yeah, that does happen to you, and then you spiral. Ooh, you know, like, yeah. But we do set ourselves up, I feel like. Mm. And just that one clarifying question of what do you mean, they can say, oh, I mean, like, what did you do today? And you can be like, oh, well, I went to the movies. It was great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it takes takes the edge off. And that is an adaptation of a script that I use when I'm in a situation where the conversation has become Mm. triggering. Yes. either for me or for someone else. Mm-hmm. So instead of pushing back, getting defensive, I say, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Since I heard you say that for the first time, that has become kind of a staple of like, yeah. before I <laughs> before I freak out or before I get defensive, ask them those, those clarifying questions because they might surprise you. Mm-hmm. And it's not worth your energy if they didn't even mean what you think that they mean. Well, I know you said you don't really want to talk about yourself, but part of the reason that I even <laughs> wanted to have you on the show, other than the fact you're probably the most quoted person on TV, <laughs> um, other than that, you are someone who, for me, kind of backdoor triggered this whole journey that I've been on hmm. in asking the dreaded question, in being interested in what else people do. Mm-hmm. Because last summer, when yeah. I took the reboot, the best class of all time, I was really grappling with sort of my identity as a theater maker, which mm-hmm. theater maker is a term you helped me discover. I was really grappling with like, well, I'm an actor, I'm an actor, so I can't do anything else. And, you know, even having not only the interest in directing, but having directed, I still was like, oh, but I can't call myself a director or people will think I'm not an actor anymore. Mm. And you were the first person to really, I mean, talk about things that we share with people that we're self-conscious about. People would be like, yeah, I know what you mean. People won't take you as seriously as an actor if you tell them you also direct. I was getting so much confirmation of that. Mm -hmm. And you were the first person who was like, why does that mean that? That that doesn't mean that. And yeah, tell that to Joe Mantello. Right. Like, tell that to Michael Arden. <laughs> right. To literally so many people. There are so many people who do multiple things. But there are just some things in our mind, A, that keep us safe. If mm-hmm. I tell myself I can't do both, then I don't have to do both. Mm-hmm. But also there are things that we've heard in our lives that it's hard. you hold on stronger to things that you've heard for a long time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's also... There's comfort in being part of a bigger group. Yes. Like being in the minority, whatever that means to you, yeah. makes you vulnerable. And so it's easier to look around and go, well, everybody else seems to be choosing one thing. Mm-hmm. So that makes me part of a community of people who do one thing yeah. and that community seems to be larger than all the other ones. So I'll be safe hiding out in there. Yeah. And then the second you choose to see yourself as a person who does many things that all add up to a really big idea or something you believe in, you become part of a smaller group. Mm-hmm. And that group is vulnerable to attack by the masses. Yes. But I will say that there is great comfort in the small community. 
in the yeah. small community of people who can have meaningful conversations with each other about things they have chosen to believe yes. rather than the things they feel obligated to believe. Yeah. And I do think there's a certain element of, this has come up a lot on the show, of the idea of see it to be it. Hmm. If you don't feel like you're seeing a ton of people who are doing, you know, multiple things or doing what you're doing, you know, there's a comfort in, you know, we talk so much about there is no one linear path, but when you feel like you see what the paths are, because it's all around you, all of these actors are doing this in all, even if there are a million different ways, there's still paths and you can still see them. Mm -hmm. And when you feel like when there's less people, you don't feel like you can see those paths as clearly. And I feel like for me, you know, the follow-up thing you said to me after like whoever told you that you couldn't do more than one thing, you were like, there was never a time where I was just an actor. And even that of being like someone I know and like see face to face, like not someone I've heard of or know of, someone I know is telling me right now, that she's always done multiple things and someone I respect and admire and want to be like. So that in and of itself was super encouraging to me. So this makes me want to talk about leaders and followers and being first or being second. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to call out that one is not better than the other. No. So in the musical theater world, as a Caucasian woman, It's going to be hard for you to ever be the first at anything. True. So you will be following paths that have been carved by other people. Yeah. There are many other artists in the theater industry who, in order to be here, have made a commitment to being the first. Yeah. And both of those things are worth calling out as noble Mm -hmm. and worthy. Yeah. And in order for someone to be a leader they have to make this choice to go first Mm -hmm. but the other defining feature of a leader is that they have followers yes huh and so you either can find the path that someone else has started to carve and it might be well worn or it might be still pretty dusty right and covered with weeds, but somebody's taking the first step and go, okay, I'm going to follow you down that path because I like where that path is going. Or you might be standing in the field going, huh, literally no path yet. Right. I either need to find someone else's path or I need to take the step, the first step forward and say, follow me. Yeah. And both of those are necessary. Yeah. That's really interesting about a leader has to have followers. So what would a leader be without followers? A narcissist. You came up with that so quickly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've never really thought about that element of it. That yeah, if you think you're leading away, we could go into a whole Hades town conversation based on this, but you never look behind you to at your followers. That's really interesting. Or a dictator. Or a boss. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's really fascinating to me. And I think, so what would you say to someone who maybe hearing this conversation is thinking, oh God, so how do I know which one I am? Or maybe I've been wanting to follow, but now I'm realizing I might have to lead. I mean, I feel like I have literally this conversation every day. (laughs) 
<laughs> with, That's true. with clients all day because I think there is pressure put on people to f- step forward and say, I am a leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you had Ali B on the show. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is something she and I talked a lot about and she talked about it on the show that in order to be a leader, you have to have, in her world, we're talking about inclusion. Right. So in that world, you've got to be inspired by the concept mm-hmm. and then learn everything about it. You become an ally, you listen, and you learn. Right. And then you find a way to start advocating for the thing that you believe in, mm-hmm. and then you get to decide. Right. Am I going to die on the side of the mountain yes. for this thing? Right. And in the world of theater, we're not necessarily um, talking about dying on the literal side of the mountain but it's like am do i care enough about this to sacrifice to risk sticking my neck out there and getting it chopped off for this thing that i believe in and for some people the answer is no because someone else has already taken that risk for them right like we we don't necessarily need to keep you know reinventing the first step wheel if someone else has already taken it um so i look at this isn't really answering your question, but this thing has been on my mind for ever since I saw it. Have you seen A Strange Loop yet? Yes. <gasps> really? I can't even. I can't even. I will Ooh. have a, we need a separate podcast just unpacking Strange Loop because that was an experience. Yes. I, I feel like I need to do a, a whole season on A Strange <laughs> exactly. Loop and why in my lifetime as a theater maker... To me, it is the most important thing I've seen ever um, because it broke every single rule while honoring every single rule. And I've, I've never seen a writer take a bigger risk Mm -hmm. really ever than Michael R. Jackson took in saying, I'm willing to not only put this to paper Mm -hmm. but then take it from the paper to the stage i mean it is really mind-blowing i don't want to give anything away in case people are going to go see it um and hopefully we'll have another life please 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 give it another life because this so this is my fear around it it's so dangerous it's so explicit Mm -hmm. it is so raw and real and visceral and like stirs up without any romanticism involved Mm -mm. the most dark and beautiful parts of our humanity and it's scary as an audience member to see it so my fear for the show is could it survive a non-New York audience and I mean a non-living in New York audience because right, right, right. it's at Playwrights Horizons. Here right. you've got, you know, mostly people who are in the know. Yes. And I've had friends go see it who haven't been able to speak for several hours yeah. after seeing it. Now, can you put that in front of a, an audience of tourists who have not experienced musical theater that is outside the box? Like, this is so far outside the box, it's on a different planet. Yeah. Anyway, it's the bravest thing I've ever seen someone put on paper I completely agree and it's definitely that's such a difficult question of like whether or not it could have further life because it, it needs to so badly but is it effective if, 
if people don't go see it or you know like, I know this like, is, you have, <laughs> right, like you, that's the dreaded question that to me. is the dreaded question is, did this have impact because this is like if you can bring this horse to water like it'll have no choice but to drink that's a little bit how I felt in that experience honestly is like it made me feel things that I wouldn't like to admit at times mm-hmm. and that was hard <laughs> you know like to be like this particular moment bothers me and I have to impact that later yep you know and like and even to be this is you know very vulnerable for me to even share is like even the audience the audience especially the night that I went was extremely responsive in a very like loud audible interactive way mm-hmm. that my rule following this is not how we act in a theater started to get a little irritated and I had to be like why does that bother me and they're not bothered by it on stage they're loving it so why should it bother me and really having to check some things about myself which was very uncomfortable yeah but there were also moments where I was like I don't feel like I've ever been so represented on stage there were other moments where I was like this is not about me and I can't I, I don't understand it from an experience place, but I have, this is giving me a deeper understanding of it. And that's unbelievable. That show to me represents Brene Brown's definition of empathy, which, yeah. is, which is not that we have had shared or similar experiences. Mm-hmm. It's that we have had shared emotions. Yes. It's like when you, when you can tap into emotionally mm-hmm. someone else's experience, not their circumstance, right. not their background story, yes. but the emotion that they feel in that moment, that is empathy. And uh, exactly what you're saying, it's like, I don't visually see myself on that stage. Right. In the storyline, I don't see myself, but all of those feelings, mm-hmm. I'm empathizing yeah. in the audience. The reason I wanted to bring it up is because when it comes to this leader and follower yes. idea is that it takes a leader like Shakina, who is artistic director of music theater factory when this right. came into being. And she, I think has since transferred the power to a different artistic director, but is still involved somehow anyway. And then it takes the leadership of an artistic director at a major New York institution like Playwrights to say, we are willing to program this. And then it takes the leadership of a director to say, I am going to make this so visually arresting. You can't look away. Right. And then Michael, who is a leader in so many ways, stepping up and saying, I'm going to tell this kind of story and I'm going to start carving many new paths first stepping it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all of those people have to be willing to step into leadership roles and yeah. say, follow me in order for the thing to happen. Whereas like I could decide, well, I'm going to program a golden age piece and I'm going to do it in a golden age way right. for an audience that's tried and true and not challenge anyone and I'm going to call myself a leader it's like well you are technically in a leadership title role but that's not necessarily leadership no because a leader takes us someplace we're not right now yeah 
Exactly. And so if it's exactly where we've always been, if anything, like you're taking us back, you know, it's, mm-hmm. let's keep moving forward. Yep. Yeah. That does broaden my perspective a little bit of, of who leaders would be and, you know, taking a golden age like Oklahoma and looking at it through such a different lens as it is now on Broadway. And there are, I do think there are a lot of exciting ways that we're, there are a lot of exciting leaders in theater right now. Um, but I, yeah, I can't help but keep thinking about what's going to happen to Strange Loop. <laughs> we need another leader. We need... Well, this is the thing. Yeah, right. So I said in one of my dreaded questions is to ask myself, does this thing I care about have any impact? The other dreaded question for me when I look at the landscape of the theater industry is who the hell is leading this thing? Yeah. Because at the top, like at the place where major decisions get made, Mm -hmm. I see a real lack of leadership. Yeah. And it keeps me up at night. I bet. Especially because you're such a leader. I mean, right? You consider yourself a leader. I'm a leader and I'm a follower. I follow certain people certain places and I try to lead other people other places. Yeah. I guess my context of you, you're such a leader to me, but Mm -hmm. that does make sense that you do also follow, which that's also really cool to think about because I think we think of leader and follow as personality types, Mm. but I don't think that that's true. I think there's context involved. Agreed. Context is everything. Yes. But do you think that there are people who can't do both? No. Yeah. But I, I think don't. there are people who think they don't want to. Yes. Well, it takes a, an ego check to realize you can't lead people everywhere. Right. You can lead people to the place you're leading them. Right. <laughs> that you are and that in order to be a great leader, you've got to find other people who are looking to make at least a complementary, right. if not same, change to the world that we're living in. Yeah. So would these be arena people? <laughs> yes, arena people. Absolutely. Hi, listeners. Sorry for the lack of context here. I'm referring not only to a Teddy Roosevelt quote slash Brene Brown favorite, but also to an episode of Jen's podcast, The Long and the Short of It, entitled The Arena. I'm linking it in the show notes. Check it out if you haven't already. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because someone's got to lead that arena for whatever, <laughs> whatever beast you're fighting. So going back to to you, your okay. favorite topic, <laughs> a question that comes up so much for a lot of people is this question of balance. And an acting career, you know probably better than anyone, can be really overwhelming. And there's so much involved. And I think a lot of people feel like, I don't... I don't have time to do anything else or, you know, maybe I do have these other interests, but you know, what I'm pursuing is so time consuming and difficult. You know, how, how would I ever take on something else? And I have said many a times that I think you either have a time turner or have more hours in your day than the rest of us, because the amount that you can accomplish in a day in a week in a month is truly mind boggling to me. Hmm. So what's your secret? Where's your time turner? I actually do have a time turner. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Although I do have a prop one that my daughter, I got for my daughter as a gift. A prop one, yeah, air quotes. I'm sure sure it's not real. Um, So there are probably a couple different answers or things like points worth making here. So one is that 
I only do things I want to do. And that sounds like a very privileged position to be in. So I acknowledge that. However, even when I was not in a position to do only things I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. I really only ever did things I wanted to do. (laughs) So that's literally how I define freedom. Mm -hmm. Just doing only what you want to do. And the couple times where I made choices that were not really in alignment with things I wanted to do, I I paid the price. I'm sure we'll Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. But now at this point, you know, I just turned forty four, so I have, you know, wisdom of the ages behind me. I only say yes if I mean yes. Yeah. And one of my friends told me, do you believe? Oh, no. Okay, so cursing ahead. (laughs) If it's not a fuck yes, it's a hell no. Yep. So if something is lukewarm to me, I have to really toss it around a little more to decide if it's a fuck yes or a hell no, because I don't want to spend my time in the middle ground. And then the other thing is, and maybe this comes when you have kids or you're aging or you know we're all aging all the time but you know like when you are visibly aging um i heard someone say this and it hit me to the core think about the span of human existence right okay so we're talking many 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 years yes of those thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years you get maximum 110 and frankly I don't wish to live to be 110 like that's way too that's that's too much for me um not that I am wishing my life away but like I like having all my faculties in order so if I get let's say less than 100 years Mm -hmm. I've been I've spent about half of them Mm -hmm. with that knowledge that for the rest of time I'll be dead like I really will only exist for a blip Do I want to spend it doing things I don't want to do, I don't care about, etc.? Like, for me, it's just, that is a hell no. That is a hell no. And we get, I can only talk about me. I, I could make the choice to get roped into all the constraints life has to offer and all the obligations that I have and look at the facts of my present moment and let those present moment facts keep me from what's possible Mm -hmm. in the future. Or I could say, okay, I'm creative. I'm resourceful. I'm efficient. These are things I know to be true about myself and I have a track record to prove it. And by the way, every single one of us is. Mm -hmm. So I could either choose to take those qualities and mute them right? so I can stay exactly where I am mm-hmm. and know what tomorrow's going to look like or I can embolden those qualities within myself and take a leap and that's what I try to do. So in terms of how do I get all this stuff done, <laughs> I don't scroll Facebook. Yep. I don't watch television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't watch the news. But I read the news. Right. But I don't watch it. Right. Um, I don't read the tabloids. Mm-hmm. I basically make the most of all of my minutes. And I think that I end up having a lot more time than uh, free time. 
to do things I just want to do than people who tell me they have no time, but they've got nothing done. Like, well, what were you doing during all the time that you used up then? Yeah. So, and, but I should say, it's not that I never, ever, ever watch television or never, ever, ever look at social media. Right. But I have to actively think about doing it to do it as opposed to it is a habit that I have. I recently did an episode with Sarah Glancy and she brought up the idea of, I think her exact word was insidious. What is so insidious about social media is we feel like it's calming our anxiety. We feel like better. We feel soothed, but it's actually fueling anxiety. It's actually making things worse for you. But there is something that morning scroll that you talk about so much there's something sort of hypnotic about it and it yes, feels... Yes, that's what it, it's yes. designed to do. Exactly. And I think that, again, that's what's so insidious about it is you feel like, no, I like doing this. This feels good. This is something I enjoy. But it's not something that you enjoy. It's actually making everything worse for you. And I think with anything that you binge, this binge watch culture of, you know, I actually called myself out for this the other day. I don't need to watch The Office anymore. I don't need to. I've seen the whole thing so many times. And at this point, watching The Office is basically scrolling on Facebook for me. Maybe less of the social anxiety of comparison or whatever, but I know this story. I've seen these episodes. I can tell you every joke that's about to happen. I don't need this, but it's something that sort of placates me in a way that I actually, I thought I liked. I thought felt nice. And I'm realizing now it's almost like again, hypnotizing me. Hmm. It's sort of turning off my brain, but not in like a meditative way, if that makes sense. It makes sense. And I really want to challenge the idea that entertainment and social media are the same thing. Yes, I think that they're vastly different. Basically, I'm calling out that I don't, it's, to me, it reminds me of social media because it's something I'm telling myself that I enjoy that I don't think I'm actually really enjoying. I think I'm using it as an excuse to take up time, hide, and not do other things. Mm. Now, I am watching the first season right now. It's been taking me several months to get through it because I I watch one episode and I'll go away for a couple weeks. Yes. Um, actually, last night, I turned on the TV for the first time in, I think, seven or eight weeks wow. to watch the next episode of Pose. So yes. I'm still on season one I've and I'm committed to watching that yeah. for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's, it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm into the story, but I started watching it because I listened to an interview with the person who conceived of the show and he was talking about essentially what well, we've been talking about this whole time, leadership, uh-huh. having to be take responsibility for doing something for the first time on that scale with the actors who were being highlighted, spotlighted, shared with a broader audience. And I was like, it is my responsibility to support this Mm. because I believe in this. So I'm committed to watching it. And oh my gosh, some of the performances are amazing. Like Billy Porter is incredible in it. He's so good. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I am watching that show and I will get all the way through it. And then I'll probably take several months hiatus before I pick the next thing. Yeah, I mean, I felt that way about um, Wonder Woman. I felt that way about Black Panther. I don't 
really like superhero movies. I don't really watch superhero movies. I did enjoy both of those, actually, but I would not have gone to see it if mm-hmm. I didn't feel like there was something to support there mm-hmm. um, deeper than a superhero movie. I, I do think that there... I mean, this is kind of, to me, related what we're talking about with Strange Loop is, like, to me, supporting something, even if it's super commercial, that represents values that I strongly believe in. Yeah. I want those people to see that there is commercial value in telling stories in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Because they won't produce it if it doesn't do well. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, movies with all, you know, strong female characters, people don't like that. Or, you know, an almost entirely black cast, people people don't like that. Nobody saw Black Panther, so, you know, we're not going to do that again. And I don't want to give them that excuse. Yep. So, like, take my money. Yes, put your money where your mouth is. Yes. If you're going to pay for Netflix, mm-hmm. knowing that they are watching your every move yep. as you decide what to watch, right. make, make that count. intentional choices. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And going back to the idea of fuck yes versus hell no, I, I do really love and support that. And I really strongly believe in only doing things that you want to do. And I know that I do absolutely recognize how privileged that sounds. And because I define that as freedom, freedom is a privilege. Like, absolutely, I agree with that. But I do think that we tell ourselves that we can't only do things that we want so much of the time, even... Like, yes, of course, we all have to support ourselves. Of course, we have to find ways to make money. But there is no one way to do that. And you are definitely one of the people who really got into my head this idea of, you know, why does an actor have to work in a restaurant? Why is that the story? Why is that the way? And if you are doing it and you like it, which I did for a while, I actually really enjoyed working in a restaurant for a while and really found it to be something super creative. Mm hmm. Until it didn't. Until, you know, there was a day where I was like, oh my God, if I do this another day, I'm going to die and I hate this. This is awful. And so I quit. Well, I, I think this is pointing to something which is important. So when I say I only do things I want to do, mm-hmm. I don't only mean in this moment in time. Right. I mean, like, it adds up to what I want to do. Yes. So, like, when I'm sitting down to... I had to do this last week. I had to work on my calendar for several hours. I don't want to work on my calendar, but what does that afford me? Yes. Is the thing that I do want, which is to work on all these projects at the same time. Yes. So in order to get what I want there, which is to work on all these different projects at the same time, I have to spend the time actually budgeting my calendar. Right. So... It's not that every activity has to bring you pleasure right. or joy. It's that it it points to a deeper, greater want. And so to your point about losing your love for serving, mm-hmm. at the time, that was leading you to some deeper, greater want. And part of how it was contributing was providing you the funds right. to go for this greater want. Yes. And you could have gotten those funds a different way. Yes. So that's what you chose to do. The want is still there. Yes. So whatever you're doing now to support this ultimate thing that you're aiming for, that counts. Why spend your time doing something that makes you miserable when you could have a similar outcome doing something that brings you pleasure? Exactly. Yeah, I remember someone, when I told them that once, that I only do things that I want, said, oh, really? You want to pay taxes? And I was like, well, I don't want to go to jail. So yes, I want to pay taxes. You know, like thinking in that sort of... Oh my gosh, (laughs) that just angered me a lot. That made me angry. But people like to challenge these things. 
Okay, so this is this is where I would need to employ my script if you were the person uh -huh. who said, well, you like paying taxes, and I would need to say, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Because my mind immediately goes to, oh, you have no idea where your taxes go. Yeah. Do you like getting mail? Right, that's true. I didn't even think of it from that <laughs> do perspective. Do you like having a police force? Right. Do you I, enjoy having a, <laughs> a defense system? No doubt the military. Do right. you, um, yeah, do you like public transportation? Do you like public education? education? Right. Do you like laws? <laughs> so, I mean, I just, I don't understand the statement, do you like paying taxes? It's like, right. I don't enjoy the act of going through all of my receipts. Right. And like, that part is not pleasurable. But do I like knowing that I am contributing as a member of a society right. that believes in education, yeah, that yes, right. yes, I, that is actually something I want. I want that. Yeah, I mean, I went way more selfish with it and was like, I don't want to go to jail, but also <laughs> that <laughs> that might have been the better response. I'll have to keep. No, because I can. People can get really annoyed when I start parsing details like that. <laughs> get annoyed. I'm annoyed by you asking me if I want to pay taxes. Like, oh, that's, God. I know, but people like to challenge. I'm exhausted by that question. <laughs> well, I hope you're listening, person. I still remember who it was, so I hope you're listening. Um, so back to this idea of balancing all of these things. Uh -huh. It was making me think of your priorities episode, of mm. the long and the short of it. And I think that is... I. I harp on this because I do feel like it is one of the main things that keeps people from pursuing other things. I'm in the middle of reading um, Magic, Liz Gilbert. Big Magic. Big Magic, thank you. I'm in the middle of reading Big Magic, and she's talking about the idea of something that I actually very much believe in, so I was really excited to read someone else talking about it. This idea of ideas floating in the ether. Yes. And, you know, there are reasons that multiple similar projects or similar ideas tend to come out around the same time and that you if you say yes to it and you take it and you feel that inspiration and you start going for it and then you put it away like that you can lose that or if you say no to it it will move on to someone else yes and so I think we use being busy as an excuse so much so I'm curious how this idea of ideas floating in the ether and big magic, how they relate to prioritizing, I guess. Hmm. Well, I think of this as like an idea jet stream that is like always moving above your head and you plug in and you download and you unplug. I mean, if you've ever, you've been in class with me, but I don't know if you've ever observed me being in class with other people because <laughs> you're you know focused on yourself but I spend all of my time in class plugged in to the jet stream yes I do not believe I've come up with any of the things that I say they it's hard to describe it because it's not like I hear literal voices but I call right. them the voices uh -huh. because an idea comes to me, I'm not going in search of it. It's like I'm plugged into this other thing and the ideas are just being downloaded and then I'm like the vessel yeah. to speak them out loud. I know that sounds a little woo-woo, no, but I, I feel very much like I'm just the recipient of these ideas and then I share them. So when I think about priorities and busyness, 
it makes me want to just like pull these ideas apart a little bit. Yeah. So in every moment of every day, awake or asleep, you're doing something. Mm -hmm. So it might be that you're sleeping. It might be that you're sitting here in solitude. It might be that you're watching TV. It might be that you're scrolling Facebook. It might be that you're waiting in line. You're always doing something. And for me, I know part of what I want to stay open to is being plugged in to the idea jet stream. Yes. So a lot of my priorities stem from whether or not the thing I'm doing allows me to also do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why if I'm on the subway, you won't see me scrolling on social media or playing games. I, I usually am listening to a podcast. Right. And then when I get out into the world again, because I'm in this sort of static environment, mm-hmm. what I try to do is when I step through the doors, it's like, okay, connect the dots, connect the dots. Yes. So in order to do that, I've got to be plugged in. And so right. having ideas is really my number one priority. Yes. So if things get in the way of my number one priority, I have to really ask myself, does that make it a hell no? Right. And so the way I've done this for my own life and my system does not work for everyone, but I have devoted chunks of time when I know it is the time of day that I'm least likely to be plugged in Mm -hmm. where I do admin stuff and things that are not creative Mm -hmm. because that doesn't feel like it's getting in the way of a big idea coming for me. But like at nine o'clock in the morning, you will not find me doing administrative work. Right. Yeah, you do like the busy work in a time when you feel like you're not as plugged in. Yes. How did you identify that time? Um, well, a resource I would point people to is Daniel Pink's book, When. It's great for that um, because it's specific to the reader. Yeah. I think it's part of it's my coffee cycle. <laughs> that is really fair. That's like, super fair. It's actually funny that this is the time of day that we're recording this because right. typically this would not be a time where I'm like firing creative ideas. Right. But I did adjust my schedule today a little bit differently mm-hmm. so that this would fall in a sort of better period of time. So I started working a little later today than I normally do. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, my best ideas either wake me up at three o'clock in the morning, and it is like genuinely three o'clock in the morning. Wow. They happen in the shower, or they happen while I'm walking. Yes. So I take a shower every day. Yeah. I sleep every day, mm-hmm. and I walk every day. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm a shower idea person too. Isn't that a thing? The shower principle. Yeah. Yeah. What is the idea behind it that like we just turn our brains off in the shower because we're forced to just be there? Well, you're unless you're doing something like dyeing your hair or shaving your legs right. or something, you have a routine in the shower that is the same every single day. Yeah. And so there's extra capacity for ideas to happen because right. you're not having to spend any mental energy on what? what should I do now? Oh, I should probably pick up the shampoo. It's right. like, well, I do it in this order every day. Also, like all of your senses are triggered by a shower. Yes. The smell of your soaps, the sound of the water, the feel, the temperature of the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess visually, actually, you're probably the least stimulated visually, and your visual sense tends to have tends to overpower the other ones so much 
Uh, you also spend a lot of time in the shower while you're rinsing your hair with your eyes closed. True. True. Ooh. Ooh. I feel uh, an episode of Long and the Short of it coming on. Yes. I'm very fascinated by the idea of the senses right now. And in my yoga teacher training, there was one teacher specifically who made us do the entire yoga class flow with our eyes closed. And it was so shockingly difficult. Hmm. Not necessarily physically. It was difficult not to open our eyes. Mm. And I was so pleased that I wasn't the only person because my eyes would be closed and she'd be like, I invite you to close your eyes. I invite you to close your eyes. And be like, okay, other people are peeking too. What are we peeking for? Like, there's nothing. I'm not going to fall. Like, I know what I'm doing. We were just doing a sun salutation, which we've all done 10 bazillion times. But she was talking about how sight overpowers the other senses. It is by far the sense where we take in the most information on, a most, on the most consistent level. If I had to, I would wager that the people who are opening their eyes were the obligers and the rebels. Ooh, do the obligers would open their eyes? Yes, because they want to make sure they're doing it right. <laughs> and so we want you to do it right and do it wrong. <laughs> so funny. And then, it's like, uh, there's... okay, we're in the middle of sun salutation. I'm not sure if I'm with the group. Yeah, because that was the thing too. She was like, go on your own Mm -hmm. pace. People hate going on their own pace. I do think that there's something hilarious about the fact that obligers, by obliging, end up not obliging because they open their eyes. Or oblige a rebellion. Anyway, yes, that's a whole other episode. Yes. So I also like the idea, though, that you, by walking, because you don't meditate, right? Is that still true? I don't have a daily meditation practice. Right. Although I would say you do. Because I don't have a traditional meditation right. practice. You don't sit we'll on put the it that way. Cross legged and chant Om. But walking meditation, mm-hmm. obviously, no, is such a thing. And I'm honestly, this is just really for me. I'm very curious. Do you find within your walks that you tend to, do you feel like you're turning inward? Do you feel like you're, you know, a parade of clowns could be walking by you and you wouldn't necessarily notice? Oh, no, 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 because I'm also practicing soft focus and only walking with yes. my peripheral vision. This is an exercise yes. I do every day. You're like obsessed with peripheral vision. Yes, because it dismantles your fight, flight, freeze, submit. <sighs> we need to do like 20 seconds <laughs> because I'm so interested in all the things that you're talking about. Um, so you do have more of a, a, an expansive view in your, in your walks. You're more aware of what's going on. Yes, I try walk. to... I'm actually practicing expanding my peripheral vision. So I will consciously, I guess to the outside eye, it looks like I'm staring straight ahead. Yes. But like out of the corner of my eye, I'll see orange jacket. And I'm like, how long can I track orange jacket? Okay, now it's out of my peripheral vision. And I pick something else and I try to hold on to it without looking at it. So interesting. It's good for being on the stage. Yes, definitely. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that we're all feeling encouraged to take daily walks to increase our peripheral vision, we'll leave it there for part one of Jen Waldman's answer to the dreaded question. In editing back this episode, it hit me that Jen truly only does what she wants, which left me feeling incredibly honored that Jen felt fuck yes about being on the show. I hope that you'll consider delving deeper the next time someone asks you the dreaded question and asking them, what do you mean? I also encourage you to notice the next time you're tempted to ask someone that question and ask yourself, what do I really want to ask them? 
Trust me, Jen's got more wisdom to share and more mics to drop. So make sure to check in next week for part two of Jen's answer to the dreaded question. Thank you so much for listening. I already can't wait for next week. I'm Lily Torre, and this has been The Dreaded Question.